Chapter 2 of With the Turks in Palestine by Alexander Aronson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Pressed into the service. There was no question as to my eligibility for service. I was young and strong and healthy, and even if I had not been, the physical examination of Turkish recruits is a farce. The enlisting officers have a theory of their own that no man is really unfit for the army. A theory which has been fostered by ingenious devices of the Arabs to avoid conscription. To these wild people, the protracted discipline of military training is simply a purgatory. And for weeks before the recruiting officers are due, they dose themselves with powerful herbs and physics and fast and nurse sores into being until they are in a really deplorable condition. Some of them go so far as to cut off a finger or two. The officers, however, have learned to see beyond these little tricks, and few Arabs succeed in wriggling through their dragnet. I have watched dozens of Arabs being brought in to the recruiting office on camels or horses. So weak were they, and welcomed into the service with a severe beating, the sick and the shammers sharing the same fate. Thus it often happens that some of the new recruits die after their first day of garrison life. Together with 20 of my comrades, I presented myself at the recruiting station at Akko, the Saint-Jean-Dagre of history. We had been given to understand that once our names were registered, we should be allowed to return home to provide ourselves with money, suitable clothing and food as well as to bid our families goodbye. To our astonishment, however, we were marched off to the Han, or caravanserai, and located into the great courtyard with hundreds of dirty Arabs. Hour after hour passed, darkness came, and finally we had to stretch ourselves on the ground and make the best of a bad situation. It was a night of horrors. Few of us had closed an eye when at dawn an officer appeared and ordered us out of the Han. From our total number, about 300, including four young men from our village and myself, were picked out and told to make ready to start at once for Safed, a town in the hills of northern Galilee near the Sea of Tiberias, where our garrison was to be located. No attention was paid to our request that we be allowed to return to our homes for a final visit. That same morning, we were on our way to Safed, a motley, disgruntled crew. It was a four days march, four days of heat and dust and physical suffering. The September sun smote us mercilessly as we straggled along the miserable native trail full of gullies and loose stones. It would not have been so bad if we had been adequately shod or clothed, but soon we found ourselves envying the ragged Arabs as they trudged along barefoot, paying no heed to the jagged flints. Shoes to the Arabs are articles for ceremonious indoor use. When any serious walking is to be done, he takes them off, slings them over his shoulder, and trusts to the horny soles of his feet. To add to our troubles, the Turkish officers with characteristic fatalism had made no commissary provision for us whatever. Any food we ate had to be purchased by the roadside from our own funds, which was scant enough to start with. The Arabs were in a terrible plight. Most of them were penniless, 
and as the pangs of hunger set in, they began pillaging right and left from the little farms by the wayside. From modest beginnings, poultry and vegetables, they progressed to a larger game, unhindered by the officers. Houses were entered, women insulted. Time and again, I saw a stray horse grazing by the roadside, seized by a crowd of grinning Arabs who piled on the poor beast's back until he was almost crushed to earth and rode off triumphantly while their comrades held back the weeping owner. The result of this sort of requisitioning was that our band of recruits were followed by an increasing throng of farmers imploring, threatening, trying by hook or by crook to win back the stolen goods. Little satisfaction did they get, although some of them went with us as far as Safed. Our garrison town is not an inviting place, nor has it an inviting reputation. Lord Kitchener himself had a good reason to remember it. As a young lieutenant of 23, in the Royal Engineering Corps, he was nearly killed there by a band of fanatical Arabs while surveying for the Palestine Exploration Fund. Kitchener had a narrow escape of it. One of his fellow officers was shot dead close by him, but he went calmly ahead and completed his maps. Splendid, large-scale affairs which have never since been equaled and which are now in use by the Turkish and German armies. However, though, Safed combines most of the unpleasant characteristics of Palestine native towns, we welcome the sight of it, for we were used up by the march. An old deserted mosque was given us for barracks, there on the bare stone floor in close-packed promiscuity, too tired to react to filth and vermin, we spent our first night as soldiers of the Sultan, while the milky moonlight streamed in through every chink and aperture, and bats flitter around the vaulting above the snoring carcasses of the recruits. Next morning we were routed out at five. The black depths of the well in the center of the mosque courtyard provided doubtful water for washing, bathing and drinking. Then came breakfast, our first government meal, consisting simply enough of boiled rice, which was ladled out into tin wash basins holding rations for ten men. In true eastern fashion, we squatted down round the basin and dug into the rice with our fingers. At first, I was rather upset by this sort of table manners, and for some time I ate with my eyes fixed on my portion to avoid seeing the Arabs who filled the palms of their hands with rice, pat it into a ball, and cram it into their mouths just so, the bolus making a great lump in their lean throats as it reluctantly descends. In the course of that same morning, we were allotted our uniforms. The Turkish uniform, under indirect German influence, was greatly modified during the past five years. It is of khaki, a greener khaki than that of the British Army and of the conventional European cut. Spiral putties and good boots are provided. The only peculiar feature is the headgear, a curious uncouth-looking combination of the turban and the German helmet, devised by Enver Pasha to combine religion and practicality and called it in his honor Envire. With commendable thrift, Enver patented his invention and it is rumored that he has drawn a comfortable fortune from its sale. 
an excellent uniform it is on the whole but to our disgust we found that in the great olive drab pile to which we were led there was not a single new one all were old discarded and dirty and the mere thought of putting on the clothes of some unknown arab legionary who perhaps had died of cholera in mecca or yemen made me shudder after some indecision my friends and i finally went up to one of the officers and offered to buy new uniforms with the money we expected daily from our families the officer scenting the chance of a little private profit gave his consent the days and weeks following were busy ones from morning till night it was drill drill and again drill we were divided into groups of 50 each of which was put in charge of a young non-commissioned officer from the military school of constantinople or damascus or of some arab who had seen several years service these instructors had a hard time of it the german military system which had only recently been introduced was too much for them they kept mixing up the old and the new methods of training with the result that it was often hopeless to try and make out their orders whole weeks were spent in grinding into the arab the names of the different parts of the rifle weeks more went to teaching them to clean it although it must be said that once they had mastered these technicalities they were excellent shots their efficiency would have been considerably greater if they had been given more target shooting from the very first however we felt that there was a scarcity of ammunition this shortage the drill masters in a spirit of compensation attempted to make up by abundant severity the whip of soft flexible stinging leather which seldom leaves the turkish officer's hand was never idle this is not surprising for the arab is a cunning fellow whose only respect is for brute force he exercises it himself on every possible victim and expects the same treatment from his superiors so far as my comrades and i were concerned i must admit that we were generally treated kindly we knew most of the drill exercises from the gymnastic training we had practiced since childhood and the officers realized that we were educated and came from respectable families the same was also true with regard to the native christians most of whom can read and write and are of a better class than mohammedans of the country when turkey threw in her lot with the germanic powers the attitude towards jews and christians changed radically but of this i shall speak later it was a hard life we led while in training at safed evening would find us dead tired and little disposed for anything but rest as the tremendous light play of the eastern sunsets faded away we would gather in little groups in the courtyard of our mosque its minaret towering black against a turquoise sky and talk fitfully of the little happenings of the day while the arabs murmured gutturally around us occasionally one of them would burst into a quavering hot-blooded tribal love song It happened that I was fairly well known among these natives through my horse Kochba of pure Menegi Sebeli blood which I had purchased from some Anazi Bedouins who had encamped not far from Aleppo a swift and intelligent animal he was winner of many races 
and in a land where a horse is considerably more valuable than a wife, his ownership cast quite a glamour over me. In the evenings, then, the Arabs would come up to chat. As they speak seldom of their children, of their womenfolk never, the conversation was limited to generalities about the crops and the weather, or to the recitation of never-ending tales of Abu Zaid, a famous hero of Beni Hilal, or of Antar the Glorious. Politics of which they have amazing ideas also came in for discussion. Napoleon Bonaparte and Queen Victoria are still living figures to them, but significantly enough, they considered the Kaiser King of all kings of this world, with the exception of the Sultan whom they admitted to equality. Seldom did an evening pass without a dance. As darkness fell, the Arabs would gather in a great circle around one of their comrades who squatted on the ground with a bamboo flute. To a weird minor music, they would begin swaying and moving about while some self-chosen poet among them would sing impromptu verses to the flute obligato. As a rule, the themes were homely. Tomorrow we shall eat rice and meat, the singer would wail. Yaha lili amali, my endeavor be granted, came the full-throated response of all the others. The chorus was tremendously effective. Sometimes the singer would indulge in pointed personalities with answering roars of laughter. These dances lasted for hours, and as they progressed, the men gradually worked themselves up into a frenzy. I never failed to wonder at these people who, without the aid of alcohol, could reproduce the various stages of intoxication. As I lay by and watched the moon riding serenely above these frantic men and their twisting black shadows, I reflected that they were just in the condition when one word from a holy man would suffice to send them off to wholesale murder and rapine. It was my good fortune soon to be released from the noise and dirt of the mosque. I had had experience with corruptible Turkish officers, and one day, when barrack conditions became unendurable, I went to the officer commanding our division, an old Arab from Latake, who had been called from retirement at the time of mobilization. He lived in a little tent near the mosque, where I found him squatting on the floor, nodding drowsily over his comfortable paunch. As he was an officer of the old regime, I entered boldly, squatted beside him, and told him my troubles. The answer came with an enormous shrug of the shoulders. You are serving the Sultan. Hardship should be sweet. I should be more fit to serve him if I got more sleep and rest. He waved a fat hand about the tent. Look at me. Here I am, an officer of rank, shooting a knowing look at me. I have not even a nice blanket. A crime, a crime, I interrupted. To think of it, when I, a humble soldier, have dozens of them at home, I should be honored if you allow me, my voice trailed off suggestively. How could you get one? he asked. Oh, I have friends here in Safed, but I must be able to sleep in a nice place. Of course, certainly. What would you suggest? That hotel kept by the Jewish widow might do, I replied. More amenities were exchanged, the upshot of which was that my four friends and I were given permission to sleep at the inn, a 
a humble place but infinitely better than the mosque. It was all perfectly simple. End of chapter 2. Recording by Setu. Pressed into the service.